Nice to see you again. Assist him. No, I can manage very nicely, thank you. But you have access to the greatest source of knowledge in the universe. Well, I do talk to myself sometimes, yes. I mean... Ball to open. Ball to open. Yes, and what do you do? They can travel along any form of broadcast wavelengths. Well, I did get used to it. Even liked it at times. Only a few have mastered the art. Then more should. Put your best men on it. <sighs> a load of junk. Well, don't just stand there. Reconnect. Commencing reconnection. Here come the drums! Hello, and welcome to Paul to Open, the ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the TV series, in completely random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and Chris and I are back. Yay! <laughs> We're back. Back on the random adventure. No, After a side quest or two. After a side quest or two, we've had a couple of those yeah. uh, in the in the pull to open canon. Should I call it that now? Um, yes. But yeah, Chris, Chris and I are a couple of, uh, if you're new here, a couple of Doctor Who fans, a couple of journalists who've been covering the show and talking about the show for literally decades at this point. And we totally. are delighting in our random journey throughout the canon of Doctor Who here. Well, you say delighting, and uh, this this <laughs> brings up an issue that I think uh, we are discovering, Pete. That the the randomizer that we use for our adventure, we'll we'll get to how we how we randomize Doctor Who in the most random way possible. The randomizer kind of feels like it doesn't like us at the moment. Uh, it uh-huh. is almost feels like it's trying to shake us off. Um, because four episodes ago, we were at the Tom Baker story with Daleks. No, not that one. The other one, Destiny of the Daleks, not Genesis. And rarely we, in top ten lists. <laughs> uh, not like we had Genesis. some. We had some issues around uh, the level of comedy in Tom Baker stories. Oh boy, did we ever mm. not know what we mm. were in for there? Uh, then three episodes ago, we moved on to Orphan Fifty Five again. Not really making many top ten lists. Um, the the Jodie Whittaker story uh, about uh, climate change and. And uh, us becoming monsters who breathe carbon dioxide in the future. Two episodes ago, we went to a similarly um, uh, dubious <laughs> story called Kill the Moon from the Peter Capaldi era, in which the moon turns out to be a totally unscientific giant egg. And for our last adventure, we went to a William Hartnell story again, not not even on most bottom ten lists um, or top ten <laughs> lists. Just kind of a nothing story about pirates, the smugglers, um, the long forgotten smugglers, the long forgotten <laughs> smugglers. And from there, we got back into the TARDIS, and I believe I asked the randomizer for a Viscount banger. Uh, to to break <laughs> this the the long series Viscount Banger the highest rating in the Pulter Open rating system uh, reserved for the most classic of classic stories uh, not from the classic series but the best the best of the best and um, yeah it, it did not deliver I think it's fair to say <laughs> what uh, don't reveal I, your rating I am so more. sorry well <laughs> I I think it's fair to say it's not a Viscount Banger in many people's lists but it is the Tom Baker story from season 15 the very last serial of season 15 the invasion of time uh now I don't know about you Pete had, had you watched this before 
Yeah, I've seen it before. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have seen it before. So so for me, Invasion of Time was one of those that I was saving, you know, for for an appropriate moment. Because Mm. it it is sort of renowned as it's renowned for many things to return to Gallifrey. Obviously, it's Leela's final story. It's the final story for K9 Mark One. Um, it's the follow-up to the Deadly Assassin, where we have been. Um, but right. it's also sort of renowned for like being one of the first stories to really give us the inside of the TARDIS. And that is what I'd heard about it. That's why I knew about it. That's what I was associating it with, you know, Sontarans chasing the Doctor through the TARDIS. I was really looking forward to seeing that. And I was so disappointed <laughs> by, oh, wow. by the on. actual Hold version. On. Oh, I, I just, I'm, all I'm saying so is it, yeah. the randomizer, yeah, it, it really likes to mess with us. So so you hadn't seen it before. I got you. I had not. I had not seen it okay. before. Cool. Well, like, <laughs> going back to your sort of recap of where we've been lately, mm-hmm. I do feel you in that it seems like every time we've done an episode that we might call bad, or perhaps not a good epi- not a good example of Doctor Who, and we try to get the randomizer to get us something different. It's like, here, hold, hold my regeneration sisterhood of car and elixir. <laughs> you don't know, you don't know bad guys. And, uh, yeah, it's been a series of what we call, I guess, Ogrons, professor haters. And so we've learned a little bit mm. about how not mm. to make Dr. Who the last few times. Um, but this is going to be an interesting one because I feel like, we might have different thoughts and different ratings on mm. this one. So this might be a little bit of a contentious Ooh, one, con- which I'm, I'm looking and contentious. forward to. I think it's especially contentious for me because, because I love Tom Baker so much. Tom Baker is my doctor. Mm. He was the first doctor. You never forget your first. And this is, yeah, this is oof, yeah, yeah. full okay, self-indulgent no, Tom Baker. Sorry, sorry. Save okay. It, save, save it, it commentary, guys. And by the way, if you want to fast forward to our in-depth commentary on the invasion of time, you go ahead and check the show notes right now or scroll down on your YouTube app or your webpage, and you'll see very prominently in our notes the exact time where that commentary begins with TLDW, our plot summary. Uh, so if you want to cut right to that, go for it right now. But if for everyone else, hey guys, it is time to enter the Pull to Open feedback loop. So guys, if you enjoy Pull to Open, uh, our episode commentaries, our brain teasers of Doctor Who episode titles in the form of emojis, or just the randomness of our journey, uh, we'd like to get you to, to encourage you right now to please leave a review or a rating in whatever podcast app you might be listening in. So these things, the reviews and ratings, they really do help the show. Uh, we love to sometimes read out reviews on air. And even better, if you can, share this podcast with a friend. Now, we had a review uh, a few weeks ago, and it was entirely emoji titles of Doctor Who episodes, which is our signature thing. We love to go through uh, almost pretty much every episode with the, that could be translated into emojis. And it's a little segment. We don't. We should get a name for this segment at some point. <laughs> it's mostly <laughs> the Chris Taylor challenge, or I guess we'll oh call it the emoji challenge. Um, the emoji, emoji challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emoji what? Like yeah. Emoji what? Into it. Even better. Emoji <laughs> what? Emoji what? And so 
uh, I like to tease Chris with these. He doesn't look at the notes. He doesn't prep ahead of mm. time. Um, and we had, uh, again, a bunch of them left by a fan, super fan named Rowan, uh, who goes by the handle X Cinema Tech on Apple Podcasts. Mm. And you, uh, we're going to paste these out. So we're gonna we're gonna do one this week and one in subsequent week. So, are you ready, mm. sir? I I am ready. Uh, this you know the fact that you are doing TLDW this week um, makes me oh. happy. That this this is my only challenge. I'm 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 good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm gonna well, I'm gonna enjoy yet. sitting back except, in the next round. Except when it is, yeah. <laughs> except that I'm just a Doctor Who fan standing in front of thousands of Doctor Who fans. Getting an emoji title wrong. All right. Let's do this. All right. Let's do it. All right. Here it is. Two emojis. First emoji is uh, a clock with uh, both hands pointed to the 12. Mm -hmm. And second emoji is a blue diamond. Okay. (laughs) Time diamonds. Time time stone. time, Time crystal. I don't. I may not be. T- uh, I wait. What? What? You. You said the clock was was pointed to midnight. Twelve. Yeah. Twelve, which could be midnight. Yeah. It. The planet of yes. crystal. Yes. Hey. Yeah. I, I felt. I felt like I gave you too much with diamond because that was actually the name of the planet. I think. I could be wrong. Right. I, uh, no. No. no I think midnight. it's. Right? No, planet it was the planet midnight. Name, I don't know. Something about diamond was in there. But it was like crystal. Yeah. Stone. Planet called I think it was a planet called Midnight. But yes, it's yeah. uh it's it's always difficult with these emoji reviews to know if the, the writer is referring to the title or the content of the story. Mm. And here it's clearly a bit of both right Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I which I like, which kind of throws you off a little bit more, but I got that one and um yeah, I feel like we, we do need to sort of keep a list of how many of these I've got, how many I've failed at, um, just so I can sort of encourage myself to know that I'm on the right track. I do get these eventually. Maybe I need like four or five guesses for for each item, but but I get that. Yeah. I got I got to the no, planet no, midnight. We, we, can, we can keep adding columns in our codex. And by the way, every <laughs> single one of these emoji titles goes to the codex, so you can check them out there, and they get they get credit. So if you submit one, uh, we will link to your submission. That's right. Codex that that codex, that solid diamond codex that will preserve be preserved for all time. Uh, you will be in it. Rowan is in it several times. Many of our other fans are. You can be too. So please. Send us your emoji stumpers. See if you can stump me with your stories. All right, Stumpy. Uh, moving on in the feedback loop. Uh, guys, if you are listening on Spotify, little known fact, you can actually rate the show on your app, on your mm. mobile app. So uh, in addition to that, you know that every time we have an episode commentary, Chris and I each give a rating to the episode and the pull to open rating system, which we will explain at the end of the show has five ratings. You too can give your rating on Spotify. So we do it in the poll feature every week. You can go ahead and decide if the episode was a Viscount Banger, a Dalek, an Ogron, or even a fixed point in time, whatever you think. Uh, And we'll gladly read the results out on a future episode. And we're going to do that right now for one of our, I guess, most controversial uh, Mm. episodes that we've done. 
which has its lovers, certainly has its haters. It is Kill the Moon. And yep. as as you might recall, Chris, we both decided that was a professor hater, not an ogron. It was a double hater. Not an ogron. It was a double hater, and we, we did prevaricate on that a little bit. I think that certainly what pushed over the edge for me was the uh, with the end scenes with Danny Pink and with Clara officially leaving the Doctor and walking out of the TARDIS. Um, and yeah, that, that just made it more of, more of a thing that was trying something new that we learned from rather than just a complete mess and bad episode. Um, so, yeah. I yeah. It, was the, it was very uh, ambitious. I, I liked the, the gumption of like, well, we're just going to give a completely new history of the moon and we're just going to, you know, upend a lot of doc, other Doctor Who stories in a sense uh, by doing that. But it uh, didn't do it well. Didn't do it right. Didn't do it in a way that really, you know, respected fans or anyone who knows right. anything about science. So unfortunately, it didn't do it very well. But uh, I had to admire that. Okay, you got you went for it. You fell down. Um, there was a better way to do that story. And I wouldn't mind seeing it. Uh, so had to do the hater, not the Okra. Right. Um, but close run thing. I'll tell you this. The fans, um, I guess they disagree with us a little bit. They There were more people who thought it was an Ogron than a hater. So 42% of the folks who voted said, this is an Ogron, guys. Wow. <laughs> nothing nothing to redeem it. Let's forget about it. Interesting. But also, we have yeah. 8%. 8% of you, dear Paul to open this, said, said that Kill the Moon was a Viscount Banger. Right? Uh, Isn't that crazy? You, you, best of the best. And another 8% I mean, said it was a Dalek, so it's like you got you had almost yeah. almost 20% said it was like a good episode, which is a Right, right. And another 8% said it's a fixed point in time, which is generally that that means it's a very rare rating, and it means that so you, you just you cannot hate on it for whatever sentimental nostalgic reason. Uh, you know, often it's one that you saw early on. Maybe it was your first Doctor Who and you got into it um, because of that. So 8% so, so yeah, it's a, actually a yeah, surprising lovers. surprising result for the people who didn't, you know, we, we've got like we've got 75% haters, basically uh, between the hater and the Ogron um, and uh, and 25% loved it. That, that sounds about right in terms of just yeah. you know, talking to people who like Doctor Who, yeah, there are a surprising amount who can ignore the bad science, who can ignore the weirdness with the egg reappearing at the end and that sort of thing, uh, and they just they they like the the ethical dilemma of it, which you know, stripped of yeah, all the other I, nonsense, is kind of interesting, right? And probably are a little more inclined to go with go with it, right? Like have a little more yeah. suspension of disbelief, especially if you're new to Doctor Who, I could definitely see people who are new to the show seeing this and not uh, getting that upset about it upsetting continuity because you don't probably don't mm. know about it. And you're just like, whatever, okay, yeah. the moon's an egg. This is kind of silly, yeah, but you, uh, interesting. We're so. going we're gonna to talk today uh, with Invasion of Time about the question of Doctor Who and comedy and how much is too much. We talked about that with Destiny of the Daleks. And you could mm. arguably, if it, certainly if you're fresh to Doctor Who, see Kill the Moon as a bit of a comedy setup, right? It's, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's a really absurd premise that you almost have to be in that comedy frame of mind, which the show isn't because it's, it's so dark with you know Clara's 
dilemma there and uh, Clara's feeling of abandonment from the doctor. So the, the story itself does not go in a comedy direction, but maybe maybe you can get over the science trouble if, if you're seeing Doctor Who, as it is sometimes seen as a comedy. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that being being the reason and, and a good segue into what we're going to talk about today. But good in the stuff. meantime... Okay. In the meantime, uh, guys, that's closing the book on Kill the Moon, uh, but... You, we are going to reopen the book on something else, and it's thanks to our friends on YouTube. So, yes. if you don't know, we're on YouTube or youtube.com slash pull to open. Great place to follow the show, even if you already follow us on a podcast app. Following us on YouTube uh, really helps us out as well, and you get to see us and all the fun things we have in our background today. And uh, there's actually great discussion on YouTube too. So, the most recent podcast we did was one on uh, a bit of a side trip about companions and what yep. uh, counts as a, who counts as a companion. So, because you know, you have people taking rides in the TARDIS, you have people in multiple episodes. Uh, some are good, some are bad. They've been definitely interesting companions who have experimented in that realm. So once you start to think about all these criteria, that sort of are, are around like who who's a companion who isn't you start to realize it's more complicated than just oh they're in a couple of stories and mm. they're um in a uh a, you know they take a trip in the tardis it's just there's more to right. it than that clearly so we we did did the research <laughs> as much as we could anyway and we yeah. came up with a whole system that has uh, it's basically a point system so if yeah. you you know DMV you, style DMV style, you basically, if you go with a ride with a doctor, you get so many points. If you travel in time, you get so many points. If he actually invites you to travel with him, you get a lot of points. That's like the equivalent mm-hmm. of a passport at the DMV. Um, yep. So all of that is to the good. We thought we had a good system. I think we'd still have a good <laughs> system, but we had a commenter on YouTube point something out to us. And I'd like to read it right here. So it's from a friend of the pod. It's Nathan Smith. And he, he says, I'm surprised you all didn't cover one of the most famous edge cases to the point that most criteria make an explicit exception for her, Dr. Liz Shaw. By your qualifications, she gets at least four points of being in an entire season. I want to say her working alongside the doctor for a year should count for either an invitation by the doctor or by a companion, namely the Brig. Although I'm unclear if that counts since the TARDIS herself was out of commission that entire time. I love that. Nathan calls the TARDIS mm. herself, uh, which of course, yeah. of course, it's herself. of course, I mean, come on, coach he is yes, full I, name I sexy. Suppose, so he he finishes off the comment with, "I suppose for the sake of fairness, I should acknowledge that when the Doctor believes he's gotten the TARDIS working again at the end of Inferno, he is prepared to say goodbye to Liz then and there. But mm. come the next episode, he's upset that she went off to Cambridge. So I think we can reasonably infer." that that moment in Inferno was just a fly by the seat of your pants. Get away from Earth, finally. Exhilaration. Mm. Okay. Yes. I'll I'll start off by uh, just acknowledging the last bit, and I totally agree, in that it just makes no sense that the Doctor was just going to take off in the TARDIS console without the TARDIS, and just, I mean, maybe you could infer that he's going to go back to where the TARDIS is and plug it in or whatever. (laughs) But I I think we're all agreed that like he was just... In a, like as as the brigadier says, running off in a fit of pique, I believe, uh, and so yes. he, he would he would have collected himself and 
uh, figured things out if he didn't just land in the rubbish tip anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. Uh, but this is this is 100% right that our system, yeah. which mostly relies on taking a trip in the TARDIS, traveling in time, and being in more than one story, does not serve Liz Shaw very well. That serves almost all of sort of your regular companions, right? Like whether you have an invitation or not, uh, but we should say you need 10 points. You could go ahead and check the show notes for uh, the previous episode to see the entire system. Yeah. But you need 10 points to be a companion. Traveling in time gets you two. Uh, more than one story gets you four. And uh, taking a trip in the TARDIS gets you four. So for the vast majority of companions, that that's all you need, whether or not the Doctor actually invites you. Um, in this case, I mean, because he's stranded on Earth, it's a very tough thing for Liz um, fortunately, Joe, mm-hmm. Joe Grant, um, uh, did a little more with the TARDIS, uh, once the Time Lord sort of got a little more involved in bossing the doctor right. around. So that wasn't really a problem for her. And, um, she obviously w- was much more long run, long running as a companion. So she, uh, ended up even crossing over into the non-exile part of the yeah. third doctor yep. run. So no problem yeah. for Joe, but for Liz, eh, it's tough. Liz, it's it is unfortunate, and I will say that I did bring this up almost immediately after we recorded that episode, uh, because Liz is the is an edge case because she's she's part of the unit crew, and but all of the rest of the unit crew that we know as unit, the Brig, Benton, Yates, um, they they carry it on. They're not in them in more right. than just one season. Um, Caroline Johns, of course, just just famously there for for one season, um, and I, I did suggest Pete that we add a criteria to to allow Liz to be Liz as a companion, and that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we know the Doctor is a scientist. We know the Doctor loves loves to do experiments in all of his and her regenerations. The Doctor loves to do sciency experiments, and. Lashaw, like like that is one of her primary functions. Do experiments alongside the Doctor, and she does that. And I I suggested the idea that if we have one point, if we add one point for every time you do do an experiment with the Doctor, not only would that pull put Lashaw over the edge, it would also I feel like every time a a scientist is only in the show for like one week one story um Mm -hmm. and they they do an experiment alongside the doctor that there's a that always feels like a little bit of bonding going on there right i i Mm. uh often think of uh was it um pyramid uh pyramid at the end of the world where there's that you know the, the doctor bonds with with a bunch of scientists and that uh, where they're releasing the oh yeah the, yeah. the whole thing that's going to destroy the world uh, the exactly. bacteria or whatever yeah that's yeah true. and, and he, he like really yeah. there's there's bonding there's even flirting like I feel maybe flirting yeah. with the doctor could be a uh, an extra point but but like I I just I love the idea that this rating if we add this rating it would get so many people at least on the board so many scientists at least on the board. Uh, with the doctor with with one point or two points um they, it would be nice for them it'd be nice they're, they're toiling their entire lives in relative obscurity doing doing the good work of science occasionally accidentally releasing bacteria into the wild that will destroy the entire planet but mostly doing good scientific work um 
and uh, it'd, it'd be kind of nice of them. It, you know, might might encourage more kids to get into STEM if we have that as our criteria. Yeah, it's not bad. Do an experiment with the doctor. I guess you just sort of have to define what an experiment is and yeah. what that means. How many <laughs> points would you award that? Two? I I, no, like I think one, one per experiment, I think. I think oh, over Ooh, the course. Thing you can get more than once. That's that's yeah, a big yeah. exception to our rules. Um, that's it's a Lishore exception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, yeah. So one per experiment. So she's done. I mean, how many has she done then? So she did Gosh. one in Spearhead because they yeah. decided to. They had to figure out a way to sort of jam the signal, and she yeah. uses it. She actually uses it at the end to uh, weaken the octopus or whatever, and. She certainly works on the cure to the plague in the Silurian, so it's at least two. And, mm-hmm. That's, and Inferno, like the, the experiment yeah. with, with the TARDIS console, she's definitely assisting that's with that. Let me get her three. So let's, let's look mm-hmm. at the system, right? So she's in more mm-hmm. than one story. She automatically gets four. But yep. she doesn't really take a trip in the TARDIS, and she doesn't um, travel in time. So she doesn't get yeah. any of those points. So even with the, if she gets three or even four experiments, she's probably only at seven or eight. So yeah. here's here's what I would say to sort of push her over the edge. And I think this is, isn't quite an exception, but it is a stretch. Is that because Liz is in both dimensions in mm. Inferno, um, you could argue she sort of takes a trip in the TARDIS. Like <laughs> she doesn't, but she 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 sort of does because she's in both places. Um, we could make the criteria: Has the Doctor met an evil version of you? <laughs> it could has be. The, has the Doctor met a mirror world, you know, randomly fascist version uh, of of this companion? Yeah. The only well, other way to do it is, as Nathan suggested in his comment, in like, do you essentially infer an invitation? Mm. Um, and you could infer for it from their first meeting in Spearhead from Space. Yes, where... the Doctor invites her in to, to explore his lab. Right, exactly. And there's a bit of dialogue with him, the Brigadier, and Liz, and it seems clear that because Liz is there and he has another scientific mind to you know essentially bounce ideas off of he is a little quicker to agree to the brigadier's deal and that mm. you should be a scientific advisor here so so in other words like there's an invitation that is accepted between the doctor and the brigadier with liz is kind of part of the deal which again mm. there's a lot of contorting there to say that that's an invitation for the doctor and liz to sort of work together and be adventure do adventures together but mm. it it's it's defensible, I think. So right. we either do the experiments thing or the invitation thing. Uh, either one. Well, if, you do, if you're doing the experiments thing, you, you also necessitate interpreting Inferno as a trip in the TARDIS. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, you know, we, we don't want to turn this into another uh, Who is a Companion <laughs> episode. So uh, we'll throw those ideas out there. Please let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, comment on that YouTube video or just, you know, hail us directly on one of gonna, our social channels. I'm going to come down, I'm gonna come down mm-hmm. to one side of this. I'm, uh, just because mm-hmm. I like things simple, I'm going to go like, I'm contorting the spearhead exchange as an invitation. 
and then that makes it simple. Though I do admire your STEM idea and that like let's let's give more mm. points for experiments. I'd love to look at the history of the show mm. and see how many people would at least get those points. Like you said, Pyramid of the End of the World. There was also uh, Planet of the Dead. There was that mm-hmm. sort of quirky dude. Um, so there's there's a done bunch of people who sort of are inching their way toward companion by doing that. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. I like I like the extra emphasis on science, but let us know what you what you think, dear listener. I'm sure you you have opinions, and I'm sure we will continue this conversation in future episodes. But we should probably yeah. uh, well, we, blast we through. Might, we might continue it on TikTok. Yes, so feel free to leave Good a segment. comment there about our system. It at pull to open all one word on TikTok. We try to post videos there almost every day. Um, or you could uh, drop us a line on Twitter at pull to open 63 uh, which is also our handle on Instagram and Facebook. So pull to open 63 on all those platforms. Go ahead, leave a comment, uh, drop us a line, and let's chat. All right. Well, it's uh, is it time, Pete? Is it time for the, the part yeah. that you're dreading? Getting about that time. I'm dreading <laughs> a little bit. I will say that. Um, so it's we're here, guys. For yep. time. Time for time. <laughs> and time for TLDW Too Long Didn't Watch Too Long Doctor Who. Uh definitely too long, I would say, in this in this in the case <laughs> of the six parter. And I do have to admit that I forgot that it was six parts when we started, when we chose this. I was like six oh, parts. Choose anything, dude. Yeah, when when the <laughs> I'm including the randomizer in the Wii here. Oh, um yes. When yeah, the Royal We chose this episode randomly, uh, bestowed this episode upon us. I'd forgotten. Yeah, I thought that they were done with six parters by this point, but no. Oh, you know what? Uh, I think this is the last one, isn't it? Uh, or Shada. No, Shada was six, right? Shada wasn't made, but it was supposed right. to be six, I believe. Right. Yeah. Which may have been part of the reason. Yes, this this one also uh, you know, had uh, industrial problems like the ones that plagued Charter. Yeah. Um, Although, like that again, yeah. that first season of Colin Baker throws everything off, right? Because mm. you you could argue the two doctors is a six parter, even though it's a three parter. So yes, yeah. All right, we're 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 prevaricating again. Uh, it, it is time. <laughs> Doing a good job, right? Pete Pete is going to summarize. It is it is your turn this week to summarize the story of Invasion okay. of Time. Uh, but because it is six parts, we allot thirty seconds per classic episode uh so you get a whole three minutes to explain what the hell is going on here um and (laughs) i i think i'm pretty sure of myself but i'm also saying i'm very glad i'm not in the tldw shoes this week how are you feeling pete you confident i'm feeling okay i i'm i'm zooming out on this one you know what i mean like this is Mm -hmm. this is a little bit of a preview of my commentary you got to zoom out to really figure out what this is and, and appreciate it. So um, I, I think I'll still need the full three minutes, but I yeah. don't expect to get into many rabbit holes because I'm just going to, I'm just going to cruise right over them. That's my plan. That's the thing. I, I feel like summarizing in one minute would be easy. Summarizing two minutes would be easy. Summarizing in three minutes, like you're going to have to start to introduce some of these weird rabbit holes, talk about swimming pools and brick walls and uh, yeah. uh weird chairs and corridors uh but we'll get to that um paint you have all your tabs closed your your screen is glowing an unearthly red which is fabulous (laughs) 
I love this. It's a Gallifrey um, sky. What I'm staring at. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Perfect for this episode. And uh, okay, so the official pull to open summary of Invasion of Time in three minutes or less starts in three, two, one, go. So the doctor's making a deal with these aliens and it's, he's basically signing a contract saying he's going to work for them and they're going to give him essentially the power of the Time Lord. So he goes back to the TARDIS, tells Leela to be quiet. He materializes the, his uh, TARDIS on Gallifrey and they're expect, they basically can detect him coming. The, the Chancellor Guard comes to arrest him. He comes out. Uh, but then he insists on going to uh, the chancellor's quarters and and saying, like, I claim the presidency of the High Council of the Time Lords. And uh, strangely, it's not contested. It's a sort of a carryover from the Deadly Assassin when he basically did the same thing to get out of being charged. So um, he banishes Leela, his companion, and says, get out. And she needs to go to the um, the, the wilderness outside of Gallifrey. Uh, there's a Castellan who is just sort of power hungry. And he just is like, okay, you're the president now. I'm going to suck up to you. Barusa, who is his old friend and mentor, uh, sort of challenges him, doesn't like what the doctor's doing, but he uh, reluctantly goes along with it. Uh, But it turns out the doctor has been planning to uh, betray the Time Lords and have the these people he was making a deal with earlier, they're called the Vardens and they're kind of these weird energy creatures and they come and uh, the doctor is, you know, basically destroyed some of the Gallifrey's defenses to, to allow them to come in and take charge. So everyone's like, what the hell? And so now the Vardens are in charge, but the Castellan, who is this wormy, slimy guy, uh, basically is like, all right, well, the Vardens are in charge. I'm going to I'm gonna go with them. And because they're turning Gallifrey into this weird sort of fascist place, he loves it. He's kind of like, yeah, I can suddenly round up people and arrest them. And uh, this is this is cool. Leela's been banished to the outside. She hooks up with the Shabogans, who are these like spear-chucking sort of uh, misfits who have to turn their back on Gallifreyan lifestyle and the Time Lords. But she sort of rallies them. It's like, we got to go and we have to stop these invaders because this is going to be bad for everybody. So what actually has happened, though, the doctor has used K-9 to take all these artifacts from Gallifrey and use them uh, once the uh, force field's down uh, and he has lulled the Vardens into thinking he's working for them and they fully materialize. The K-9 finds their home planet. The doctor beams them back there and just time loops the whole planet. Clearly, he's thought these people are way too dangerous to to leave not time looped, I guess, and uh, they're gone. And so the invasion's been thwarted. Uh, it looks like he's going to be uh, getting rid of Castellan and everything, but it turns out the Suntarans have invaded now, and they've they've used this hole in the force field that the Doctor's created to basically land their invasion force. So then there's this whole crazy back and forth with the tar- they're going to get him in in his own TARDIS, and uh, the Doctor has built this thing called the Demat Gun, which is a super weapon that dematerializes, uh, bat- you know, basically opponents. And it's powered by the great key that he gets from Barusa. He he uses it against the Suntarans. Does he materialize? And opens K9 Mark II. Yes. Uh, or yeah, at least wheels yeah. out the box to K9 Mark II and completely breaks the fourth wall by laughing maniacally at the camera. <laughs> Uh, wow, that I was, was that was out. interesting. You, you definitely, yeah. See, this this is what I'm saying. With three minutes, when you got those acres of time, yeah. it really is. It's difficult to to oh, kind of fit it all in. 
segments yeah. of time. Yes, you 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 know you focused a lot on the Vardens there, who kind of are uh, almost you know a four episode distraction to get us to <laughs> the Santarans <laughs> in the last two yeah. episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, should we maybe start there by talking about Vardens versus Santarans, uh, or should actually let, well, let, let's let just me... set the scene? Let's set the scene yeah. a little bit. So I want to like this, elaborate a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, you'll go ahead. Go ahead and set the scene. You do. I was going to say, so this this is uh, 1978, and right. it's the last story of the season. And there was a story that was commissioned, um, which was about cat people on Gallifrey, <laughs> which really just puts me in mind of the latest Saturday Master. Uh, you know, last time I saw you, you were a cat person. Man's allowed to experiment. Um, <laughs> it's a while to get to the cat people. Yeah. In the in the original scripts, yes, the uh, Gallifreyans were allowed to experiment as well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of cobbled together at the last minute. It was beset by industrial action. It was beset by the yeah. fact that Tom Baker is just sort of like thinks he can do it all on his own at this point. Uh, doesn't like the character of Leela. He and Louise Jameson not getting on. Louise Jameson wants to leave. Uh, the writers still think that they can talk her out of it. Uh, like it's a, it's a whole mess. It it just they didn't get the places to film that they wanted. Um, that the script has so many holes. You could fly, fly us on Tar and Battle Street through it. Um, <laughs> and the only the only they wanted Robert Holmes to write this. They wanted the 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 great right. Robert Holmes who had written the Deadly Assassin to write this as the sequel. And he said, no, sorry, I want a bit more dos- distance from Doctor Who, but you know what you should do? Make it a four-episode and two-episode structure. So it's the Vardens for the first four episodes who are invading Gallifrey, and then the twist at the end of the fourth episode, which really feels like you know, you're know you wrapping up a classic four-episode story, and then, oh no, all of a sudden, what's this? The Santarans are in Gallifrey, and that's the final two episodes. So that, that part is Robert Holmes. Uh, alas, none of the rest of it is. So right. yeah, <laughs> so all of that's true. Um, yeah, I would just add on the the David Weir treatment. I guess he made a whole script of uh, yeah. whatever the cat people thing was. Um, so according to Graham Williams, he, there were two. There were sort of a mix reasons why they rejected it. One was that it was just too expensive. It just looked yeah. the way he wrote it. It was just like there's no way we could ever film this. Um, Supposedly, there was said, a scene with a stadium full of cat people. And sort of famously, the point at which they realized, no, there's no way we can do this. Of course, now yeah. you totally do that with CGI. Oh, easy, easy. And hmm. um, but he also said that, and I think this is probably the the real reason is that he just didn't get Doctor Who, like the the beats of the show, whatever the structure of it was, and the you know that you can you kind of know what Doctor Who is by living it or working at it for a while. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to trust the producer and the script editor. If they say like, this just doesn't feel like a Dr. Who episode. Um, then I, I, you know, that probably isn't that said, I think they were less inclined to experiment back then. Um, hmm. and particularly in that period when they were pulling back from the Philip Hinchcliffe era, which was sort of getting bold and, you know, gothic horror-esque. And we're like, no, we want to be a little safer, essentially, is what they decided to do. Um, Probably with, you know, the input from the BBC, we're getting skittish about um, the horror movie vibes. So um, the the cat people thing should would probably pass the cut today 
<laughs> in, in some way, because for both mm-hmm. reasons, the budget and story. And um, but that said, this was the result of all the things you said. And you're totally right. Like it was, it's clearly you can tell it's rushed. You can tell it's probably not the best choices that they wanted to make. But all that said, like my overall impression of the observation of time, like if you zoom out on the story and the structure that they're trying to do, it's actually really compelling. Like I think it's super fun uh, at this point in the story, uh, in the series to explore more of Gallifrey. And uh-huh. it this I think more than even the deadly assassin in some ways almost humanizes Gallifrey and makes it it this this obviously dysfunctional society but also that that there are a couple of alien races with designs on stealing the power of the time lords that's Mm. just awesome that's a smart thing and you could tell like that's that idea has obviously carried over into the new series with the time war and the daleks uh and has served sort of the basis of of the new series mythology um Mm. here you see this this sort of beginning of like gallifrey not just this godlike player you know on both directing both sides of a of a cosmic chessboard um right. it's it's also a target which i thought was just <laughs> a super awesome idea and it does flesh out the notion that the, the the division between the the upper class time lords and the uh the very primitive shabogans uh, right. on Gallifrey. Right. I will say it was a missed opportunity. And I think that this is very interesting to talk about in the context of the timeless child, which is that the original idea, and I do wish that they put this in the script. The original idea was that it was going to establish that the time Lords were not Gallifreyan, that they had settled on Gallifrey to, right. uh, you know, they built the Citadel there in exchange for protection in exchange for, you know, Allowing the the native inhabitants to live long lives, and, you know, this could have sort of explored the negative uh, consequences of allowing some weird aristocratic race to set up a citadel on your planet. But that would have mm. been very interesting, I think, especially now we know that the Doctor uh, is not of Gallifrey herself slash himself. Um, you know that 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 seemed to come out of left field in in the timeless children for a lot of people however if it had been established that the time lords themselves were just aravists uh to gallifrey then i think that that might have put a different cast on it and suggested that yeah you know there's, there's more to their story um it goes back way further it's not necessarily connected to this one um dusty planet with the the weird trees and the sunsets and and uh, right. the red sky and all of that um what, what do you I think, Pete? Like should, should they have included that? I honestly don't think it adds as much as mm-hmm. to this particular story anyway, as mm-hmm. you might think, as much as it does add to the mythology of Gallifrey. Um, and there's, you know, there's all, there's so much that we don't really know. I mean, obviously there's been tons mm-hmm. of um, speculative stuff that's been written and, and bridging between episodes and a lot of um, less canonical adventures that have tried to flesh out Gallifrey a bit, Lung Barrow being one of the, um, mm. the which is a novel that sort of goes into the doctor's uh, history on Gallifrey uh, quite a bit is, is very notable, but right. you know, you can, you lick about Gallifrey, right. And it's, it's essentially this Citadel and some stuff. And you kind of <laughs> wonder like, well, wait a minute, how did, how did that even happen? Right. Like if you, if you mm. want to just protect board from our own planet, 
you know, here's Earth, and we'll say we develop time travel and we become the Time Lords, would we then, you know, essentially shrink our whole society down to this one capital? And presumably it's got, you know, Time Lord technology, so it's bigger on the inside. But at the same time, like, why why wouldn't you use the rest of the planet? I just, why wouldn't you? I just I don't get it. Um, and right. so that that's never really answered. Not even really answered here. But at least no. here you get this sort of fleshed out stuff. Like the Shabogans are mentioned in the Deadly Assassin, and you're not even quite sure what they are. You just feel like oh, there's some sort of rabble, I guess. Yeah, because that's they're dismissed by uh, I think it's Spandrel, and like oh, we you know. Vandalism is something the Shabogans do, those those rabble rousers. Um, and now we see them, and it's very interesting. There's people who have very consciously like, no, we we don't like this lifestyle, this this time lord. I'm just, you know, above technology and above everything, and mm. I just sit and observe. And they're like, it, it, it actually makes total sense that you'd have this subset, tiny subset of people that are just like, uh, I'm 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 rejecting. Um, I want not just I'm rejecting that. I I want to get back to my primal nature. Back to the land. Back to the yeah. land, man. The, the Time Lord hippies basically oh, is what's established here. And uh, interesting, we 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 also get little little insights into. I'm going to try to remain mostly positive about Invasion of Time for most of this episode. Um, we get little insights into Time Lord society through uh, Rodan, who I don't think is a character you mentioned in the in the TLDW, because no, she's not no. really that no. necessary. She's sort of, you know, Leela, Leela's friend and then the Doctor's friend. Uh, almost a companion, because she takes a trip in the TARDIS. Um, mm. And uh, she, she's a Time Lord, and she's the one who sort of really is the fish out of water with the Shabogans. And one thing she does is sort of present her, her little pocket full of pills, which is apparently what, what the Time Lords eat. Um mm. Not sure how that works with getting enough fiber in their diet, but yeah, it was that's a sort of very 60s, 70s sci fi trope, right? In the future, we're all going to just eat, subsist on a diet of pills. Well, that sort of might might explain why the Time Lords are so uh, little fun. Uh, they, they don't really have feasts, they don't, they don't sit down around the dinner table ever. Uh, there's, there's not even that moment of human warmth to them, they just consume pills. So that's an interesting insight. Well, I Rodan, kind of like Rodan that. I like, I like mm. Rodan because um, she's she's you know she's trying, uh, yes. and she she you learn a lot from her, right? You learn about the transduction barriers. You yeah. learn about like she has an important line where she talks about the time lords in the third person, which mm. indicates there's more striations to Gallifrey in society than are just the time lords and the Shabogans. There's Mm -hmm. There's some sort of Gallifreyan commoner that isn't a Time Lord, uh, but hasn't, you know, isn't isn't some refugee or, or underclass. You know, they're just, or I guess arguably, like they're just maybe middle class. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But they 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 do, and this happens in other episodes too. That the Time Lords are referred to as essentially the ruling class of Gallifrey. You know, yeah. they're they're not, and it's not just the High Council, but it is like a, being a Time Lord is is you know you have the houses and you have the the funny you know hat wear and the neck wear and, and all that stuff so you can do all that um so yeah you you're getting like again more of you know what this society is about you know um rodan talks about how she she's there to kind of keep an eye on ships passing by i guess um mm. that are pretty close and 
you know, just making sure that they're aware and observing and, you know, well, and she's not really worried that they're going to do anything because of what, yeah. you know, this time with technology, the transduction barriers, which I kind of mm. wish they would have referred to more in things like, and maybe they did and I missed it, but, um, there, you know, day of the doctor, and yeah. there was that one prequel episode uh, or webisode that sort of goes, uh, talks about the Daleks baking through some kind of barrier. Yeah, and, the sky trenches and all that, Arcadia. Yeah, so so it's a little bit, and you know, they, they again, you, you scale up sci-fi in these ways of like, I remember in that thing they put, there's there's like 50 layers or something in here. I, li- yeah. I like this better, that there's a transduction barrier that just kind of works to against force itself almost right like you could mm. never shoot through it no matter how much firepower you have um yeah. i like that as a sci-fi idea and the only way to get through it of course is have an inside man which is mm-hmm. you know the the doctor in this case so um yeah kind of more ideas like that that are just on this other other side other worldly sci-fi level where you you can't even just apply your natural thinking to it you have to you have to work around it um, and I, right. I like that as, as sort of that's what the Time Lords have figured out, that they're above all this stuff, right? Or at least they think they are. It's it's like, definitely a story that, yeah, yes, indeed. It's it's definitely a story that kind of pokes holes, uh, uh, way more holes even than the Deadly Assassin did in Time Lord society and in the way that they have it set up. They are uh, shown to be sort of, you know, supremely uh, self-confident, arrogant, and... Un- unable to understand the potential threat to their planet because they've been safe for so long. Uh, but also the doctor shows how the political system can be entirely subverted. Um, if he, he returns to reclaim his presidency, which is something that he did to get out of trouble in the deadly assassin. Um, and there's, there's nothing to stop him, which is very well, I interesting. I also love that, that the time Lords haven't even gotten around to getting another president, right? Like I just, yeah. I love what that says about them. Like they're just this utterly impotent, feckless society that just, oh, we'll get around to that. Like we weren't planning mm. for any of this, so someday we'll fill that position. But we, we're going to have to go through a bunch of hoops, and no one, no one steps up. There's no like real leader there who's just going to be like, mm. well, we got to do this, and let's let's make some things happen. It's like no, because that's just sort of been weeded out of their society by their lifestyle yeah yeah not even castellan kellner who you would think would be the kind of uh grasping opportunist uh but now he just wants to be servile to to a time lord dictator i think he also like he's such a worm you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you can't think like i I gotta think just politically people wouldn't go for it you know what i mean like like he Mm. people know who he is but they think he's no threat just again because of the nature of their society he's not going to be able to do anything unless he yeah. has a strongman dictator that essentially he can get behind. Right. Like I, right. the thing about that, I, by the way, I love that guy's performance. Uh, what's his name again? Milton, Milton Johns. Yeah. Milton Johns. He was a, perhaps the best thing about the whole episode. And he, he reminded me so much of the snake in the Robin hood cartoon. <laughs> I, <laughs> It reminded me so much of it. I thought I had to look yep. it up and see if it was the same actor because he actually sounds like him, and it's not. He, um, he definitely but, he's he's wonderful at playing that type. I mean, kind of character for which the word unctuous was 
was invented. I mean, it just kind of so oily, slimy, and just overly servile to whoever he's leading, uh, whether that, you know, whoever's leading him, whether that be Tom Baker or uh, a bunch of uh, aluminum foil um, right. uh, projected, <laughs> which is all you see of the Vardens, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that. You know, that, that's the negative side of the review. Let's stay on the positive side. And I will say, that I really liked uh, Tom Baker's performance, uh, especially in the first two episodes, where mm. he you don't really know, and that this is sort of the whole idea. You don't. It looks like the Doctor has gone a bit mad. It looks like the Doctor is uh, in cahoots with a uh, mystery alien race. Again, unfortunate that they're just a bunch of aluminum foil in front of a in front of a CSO camera, but. Um, but yeah, you. This is sort of the time of the show to play with that. We can play with that. Like we're in the Doctor's fourth regeneration. He, yeah, he's sort of been a cozy, cuddly kind of Doctor with, if a little bit mad up until then. But there've always been these moments where you're like, who is this guy really? You know, you see that with the Hartnell Doctor a lot. You see it a bit with Pertwee's Doctor. We just mentioned one of the episodes Inferno, one of the stories Inferno, where he, uh, you know, he just doesn't like his earthbound companions and he's, he's trying desperately to get away from it. And he doesn't, you know, doesn't want to take any, any of them with him. And he, he's just, he's, you know, mad and upset and arrogant. And, and here is, you know, possibly the last time in the show, you can sort of get away with it. I feel like mm. after this, like you couldn't see Davison doing this, right? Uh, maybe well, you could you see could. Colin Baker doing this, but well, yeah. I, I was just thinking, like you do see Colin Baker doing it in then in Mind mm-hmm. Warp, right? So, right. Uh, as you were talking there about Baker being off and a bit mad, and not you're not really sure which side he's on. That definitely uh, Mind Warp came to mind, uh, mm. and of course, in that episode, sort of the lines are really blurred, and we'll get there when we get there. But here, mm. I thought you're dead on, like Tom Baker you know, adjusts his performance just right in those first couple of episodes. And he's like more histrionic. He's, he's definitely nuts. Like he's just sort of even physically just sort of changing direction and doing strange things in the middle of scenes. And, um, a lot of it's played for comedy, which isn't always mm-hmm. bad. I mean, I think it's actually quite good. I, I really love the bit where he and Andred both have jelly babies and, and yeah. it's kind of mimicking him and they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, here you go. Take, take the bag, you know, which is, again, another mad thing you just do. Here you go. I'm, I'm just doing this now. And this is, so- yes, again, a, a Time Lord society that doesn't have proper food. They just eat with pills. Uh, yes, they're going to see a jelly baby as a delicacy. As a yeah, nice and moment. I think as a viewer, you're thinking like, okay, either he's really up to something or he's been sort of per- perhaps has been manipulated. His brain is being mm-hmm. like baked or brainwashed or something uh and you're not sure and then you you get that cathartic moment i think it's in episode three where he's looking around his office and he's like you've you've got lead everywhere is this did you do it did you do what i asked and bruce is like yes we did a thousand times yes we did it Mm -hmm. and he's like oh and at last we can talk and then finally it's like oh yeah he's 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 a good guy yay and uh, you know yeah the, the lead lining by the way <laughs> could easily also serve as a function of like why why he's acting a bit mad given yeah. what we now know about lead and uh its ability <laughs> to affect the human brain uh a lead lined room yeah that that part doesn't necessarily age well yeah and again it's it's all zoomed out it makes sense it was zoomed in mm. I, I could pick at this all day 
Uh, particularly, mm. the main thing I would pick about the lead room is that mm-hmm. how would the Vardids not know it's a lead room? Or <laughs> at the very least, suddenly realize they can no longer read the doctor's surface thoughts, which is apparently yeah. what what he's he why he's been acting mad, right? He's been just trying to distract them with all his goofiness uh, while still trying to keep his secret plan secret. And, but what, wouldn't they know when they suddenly realize like, hold on a second, I can't read the doctor anymore. Hey, mm. wait a minute, that room, I can't read anyone in that room. Let's get busted to that room because this is not, this is not good for us, for our invasion plans. Um, so it's like, it's the whole thing like with Superman, right? Well, I'll just create a mm-hmm. lead room to, Make sure Superman can't see what I mean. Well, he's going to see there's a lead room somewhere. He's probably <laughs> yeah, exactly. He might think there's something's up. He might yeah. throw that into the sun or something. Like, come on, no, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. The Vardens are kind of one of the more unfortunate elements of this. It really, I really wish they they'd taken Robert Holmes's four episode, two episode division and flipped it, uh, as Holmes himself often did. As in, just have the Vardens be the threat for the first two episodes. Then flip it and make it the Sontarans. Oh, I thought you meant like the Sontarans invade first and then the Vardens. First, yeah. No, I mean, unless you get better costumes for the Vardens, <laughs> that might well, work. Well, here's but... the thing. I, I, I disagree on the physicality of the Vardens. Because even though, mm. yes, it's sort of bad CSO tinfoil, um, mm. it's so unexpected in my mind that you just, you know, you're not really quite sure what these things are because they're... I believe in the first episode, there it looks like they're in these chairs, right? These weird cone head shaped <laughs> chairs yeah. facing the doctor, and you're like, okay, I guess there's people there. So, but then when they materialize, you're kind of like, that's it. They're these goofy little <laughs> crinkly things. Um, but I, I like, I like the idea of weird looking stuff. One, it's totally unexpected, but also like they they pack a punch like right away they zap someone who tries to zap them or something and mm-hmm. they, they assert themselves. So you're like, Oh, like I like that subversion of expectations in a sense. Like they're just, they're just weird, goofy energy things, but we have to respect them. Star Trek did this a lot, you know, with these, these sort of energy yeah. beings. I mean, if you remember the episode day of the dove, it's just this glowy thing that's wandered around the enterprise, but it's, it's the mastermind. It's the master manipulator. So, so I mm. like that. I also really like the bit where they materialize and they're just dudes just goofy looking dudes and goofy looking mm. helmets. and you're just like yeah. wait a minute they're just they're just guys which again is another thing I, I i like that idea like oh you know uh why why were we scared of them well they're yeah. still powerful but they're they're just goofy looking dudes and helmets and again you're just you're, you're just constantly being misdirected around and like your expectations are, are flipped over multiple times, which I just love it. There, there is one of the, I mean, you do sort of have to uh, get around a lot of questions of like, yeah, they're, they're sitting in chairs at the start. There's also a point where they're sitting in a chair on Gallifrey uh, when, uh, you know, Castellan Kellner is, is talking to the one. He's literally talking to this, this uh, tinfoil, uh, overlay that's sitting down <laughs> in a chair. So, yeah, the which reminds me of one of my favorite um, tweets about Star Wars, which is my favorite bit of Star Wars is where the ghost gets tired and sits on a log. Um, <laughs> talking about Obi Wan, of course. If you watch on the DVD, you have the option to 
turn on CGI effects. And the Vardos oh. look completely different. So they essentially look like shimmering humanoid shapes. And uh, even though it looks more modern, I like it less. I, I, I mm. prefer sort of the crinkly, tinfoily Vardens just because of all the subversion of expectations that I just talked about. I will say, though, mm. when the other effects they give, which is uh, the staser bolts are more clear, canines, uh, energy weapon is better. Um, and the Matrix stuff where he puts on the crown, there's a little more of an effect there. Mm. All that is very good. I, I prefer those. But the Vardens themselves, I like that they have these this weirdness to them about their appearance and then that uh strange uh thing that happens because you're not even you're, honestly they don't even look humanoid they just look like shrouded mm. things they almost look like tholians again to, to give another sort of star trek reference um <laughs> and then when they materialize as humans you're almost not really expecting it whereas sort of the humanoid shape kind of gives it away Interesting. I didn't know there was a uh, Star Wars-esque special edition there on the DVD, which is... Uh, mm. I'm, I'm trying to counter every one of your Star Trek references with a Star Wars reference, <laughs> uh, which I think is warranted here, because we should say that this was the story that was on TV screens when Star Wars arrived in the UK. Oh uh, it was the beginning of 1978, so it had taken that long from May 1977, which is all, we all know when, when Star Wars came out. Taken that long to come to the UK, but it was it was finally there and in full force. And the BBC actually uh, made a very successful sale to, uh, I believe, to PBS uh, uh, using the Invasion of Time as kind of a starting point, as kind of their, their oh. calling card. Uh, because of the success of Star Wars, they were like, hey, you guys need more science fiction. Here's, here's some science fiction, which happened a lot. I know, I know this from writing right. a history of Star Wars. <laughs> like There was sort of this immediate rush in 1978 to get anything you could that was science fiction right. on the screen, in TV, and in movies, and it didn't matter what quality it was. And they so said, this like, was, this we've was... got 14 years of this show. Well, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> some of it's long gone but yeah, yeah we've we got some stuff you, maybe not all the yeah. stuff you want and maybe not of the quality you want but hey it's sci-fi the kids will love it um yeah okay i'm I, i'm trying to think of other good things like well the, the, uh, yeah the, the tom baker well, performance I, I will say <laughs> <laughs> i will say one thing about the tom baker performance you do sort of have to take the rough with the smooth here like if if you if you like him at his uh you know grinning madcap not really sure what side he's on best you have to accept him at his fourth brawl wall breaking worst which is not just the very end yeah, where he laughs yeah. at the camera but also like he's thrown in lines about not even the sonic screwdriver can save me now which is feels like a tom baker ad lib even if it isn't and basically almost turns to camera like he's not quite yes. looking right in the lens but he's very much like just slightly off like and and yeah there's definitely goofy stuff there's the joke about um, all, the most useless thing is a lock with a voice print or something, which is the voice print mm. code, which sounds like something a middle schooler would come up with. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and there's there's a, a bunch of that. Um, you're totally right. I, I think he he's very very good in this, but he he is given too much rope, um, mm -hmm. and it's probably because again Graham Williams was just desperate to put something up. 
Um, there was you know, all that stuff. I, I'm not sure how much he and Louise Jameson really didn't get on, um, but there was, you know, he he wanted to do more himself, uh, and he, they let him do it, and it, eh, a lot of it yeah. doesn't really land that well. And and Tom Baker, I mean, we know from the Deadly Assassin that Tom Baker in that story was kind of asking for to be companionless to say that you know, hey, yeah. I can I can show that I can just do this by myself. Um, and he actually suggested after the invasion of time, because there is that moment where like the Venus flytrap, uh, there's, there's like a Venus flytrap, like giant plant that eats, is it, right. they eat one of the Santarans, right? Um, well, and trap one of the Santarans. I think he actually gets out. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so seeing that Tom Baker suggested that he could do the whole of the next season with a, with a, like a, a small version of that plant on his shoulder. Like he, you know, <laughs> right, the, the new companion, <laughs> know, right? <laughs> the new companion is Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, I, I can't like yeah. think take that seriously. And that I, I'm sure he was kidding. Like if he wasn't okay, like I think he was he was on something. But that that that's a bit goofy. But yeah, I, I get it. Like he he was he had to be reined in, and luckily he was. So they ended yeah. up going with Romana in the key to time. I. I there was some rumor, I think, that they were going to bring back Rodan. And- yeah, that that is a rumor. A rumor is that Rodan was was the the sort of the template for for right. the character that became Romana. Uh, that that has, I believe, been been um, mostly been debunked. Soundly debunked. Yes. Yeah. So, they weren't actually uh, about. But she is kind of similar. You can see yeah. why that myth started. She's definitely. Um, there's not that much daylight between the two characters. Hmm, that's true. At least not between but, her and Romana One. Yeah. So, so on the positive things again, I I really like the structure of the misdirection uh, with the Vardens being the big bad, and then you think mm. it's a four parter, and then the Suntarans come in. What I would have liked to see is a little more teasing of that than just the two shots, I believe, of the Suntaran space cruiser. And mm. you're not even quite sure what it is, but you sort of know, oh, something's something's happening. Um, and I think they could have killed two birds with one stone, supposedly, with, with uh, the way I would fix this, which is that in episode one, the doctor signed some contract with mm. the Vardens. And yeah. it's unfortunately never referred to again that you sign this thing and somehow that's enforceable or whatever, right? Like it's just, it's just the thing he does uh, that just to sort of set up the, the story. But what would have been cool is if maybe in episode five or six store, the Santaran leader makes some reference back to the contract and mm. it had some meaning beyond just trying to sort of set the stage in episode one. And, you know, maybe even the Vardens could, refer to it a couple times in the preceding episodes and that they have backers of some kind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and just, just hint yeah. at it at least you don't really even get it much of that. They just really fixated on what the doctor's doing all the time. So then when You've the Suntarans come me. out, it's just, it's, it's a little, it's a little too jarring. It's like, Oh, I love the twist that it's a double yeah. invasion, but it, it, should, I would have loved it. They should have set it up a little more. Again, it's all comes down yeah. to, I think, the rushed script. And if they had time, they could have put in a little more. 
Um, but in my in my special edition in my head, there's a little more there, particularly <laughs> with the contract. You could have flagged it a little bit more, but you're you're making me realize yet yet another brain twisting uh what wtf moment in the in this whole thing yeah the doctor signs a contract to <laughs> with, with the bad guys to like how is that enforceable what what court are you going to go to hey the, the doctor said he was going to invade gallifrey with us but he fooled us and he built a lead-lined room and it clearly states here in paragraph four subsection c you you're not to build a lead-lined room to to keep our thoughts out man what the hell you're supposed to be evil, according to this contract. How do you enforce a contract of evil? I, I don't know. Maybe this is a whole new Doctor Who space lawyer spinoff. I mean, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's the Shadow Proclamation spinoff. <laughs> Everybody's got to go before the, the court there in the Jadoon ultimately make, make their call, I guess. I, I almost kind of want to see a Dalek lawyer spinoff. <laughs> you sign this contract agreeing to be exterminated at a later date. This contract is enforceable. Um, yeah. The more you pick at Invasion of Time, the more, the more that you can find. Um, I will say... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will say, like we've, we've not talked about Louise Jameson enough, I think, because she is... Leela is great. Leela is a great companion for the Doctor. Yes, she was sort of created for for the dads as they say she was <laughs> kind of the the skimpy uh, raquel welsh in the you know the poster for what was it one million years bc the poster that's in shawshank oh Redemption. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's based that's basically leela's costume right so it's it's like the bbc or you know the doctor Who production team saying hey we're going to increase adult viewership by which they mean heterosexual male viewership uh, who are certainly not going to turn the TV off after the sports uh, show grandstand that was always on before Doctor Who. Um, they, they're going to stay. They're going to stick around for the skin. Uh, so Louise Jameson took the role of Leela, which could have been just completely two-dimensional, made it her own. She is so ill-served by this story, uh, even even with her time uh, with the Shabogans. Well, that's and, what I was going to say. The time with Shabogans is is great mm. and kind of makes up for the rest of it in that she gets to step up and essentially be a leader uh, for these folks. And uh, there there's good moments. I mean, like the thing where she is training, trying to train other people on how to shoot a bow, but also is showing right. them that she can do it and sort of rallies them all up. And, and I would have liked to see a little more there, but mm-hmm. she seems to make it clear to them that the stakes in the capital that they've turned their back on still should matter to them. And it doesn't get yeah. a lot of convincing, uh, but it, it's a, it's a good moment for her both as sort of a warrior and a leader and, and someone who can proactively move the plot forward. So again, you're not wrong about the other parts of it, particularly um, even though she, well, she's not well served by the doctor telling her to shut up and banishing her. But at the same time, I think that does a really great job of establishing him uh, as some somewhere else than what we're used to seeing the doctor and potentially uh, working with the bad guys. So keeping you guessing. So even though like, again, it doesn't mm-hmm. serve her character well, it serves his character and the story well. Um, so I'm, I'm going to allow that. But then toward the end, yes, it, it kind of drops off and then she's just sort of left on Gallifrey. And we should probably talk yeah. about that, like the whole. Yes romance Andred. that non-existent mm. romance between her and her and Andred. 
Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> which which they so this was a case where Louise Jameson and and the actor who played Andred, uh, Christopher Tranchell, uh, or Chris Tranchell as he's listed in uh, some of the episodes. Uh, oh, he good old Chris. He uh, yeah, they they had to basically work it out between themselves to sort of inject some tenderness into the earlier scenes where they're running around together uh, to try to put in the show what was not in the script and it was really a case of just i you know you don't want to call it misogyny but certainly not listening to uh to women and not listening in this case to louise jameson who said clearly for months beforehand i want to end my time with doctor who this is it over no done ending my association with season 15 uh and they just didn't believe her um, they thought they could right. talk her out of it right till the last minute. And uh, this this was just sort of the, the backup plan for how she would leave the show. Um, yeah, to, to be romance. fair, I mean, no one no one knew what John Nathan Turner was going to do, but uh, <laughs> apparently JNT had offered, uh, I think we might have mentioned this on Logopolis, but had offered to have her come back and help with the transition <laughs> to peter davison in that final season and she was like well that'd be great uh, can i come for just one story and he was like no i want you there for the whole season or at least most of it and she uh-huh. was like well then then it's off but then she actually says in the commentary on invasion of time uh-huh. that she would have made probably a different decision uh uh-huh. if she had to do it over again and that she she probably would do it so in other words she she clearly is a bit ambivalent about doctor who right like it's not like right. um she she hates the show. She's obviously been well treated by it. She lo- and she's done a lot of big finish audios. She's like a lot of actors who were in the classic series have become great uh, contributors and ambassadors for the mm. show. And that, I'm super grateful about that. Um, yeah, certainly, said, big finish would be think, a lot poorer without without yeah. Leela existing going I forward. But the, you know. the right way to do this, you're you're dead on. Is like do something mm. more along the lines like they did with Jenna Coleman in uh, mm. I forget the name of the Christmas. I think it's Last Christmas. Right, Last and Christmas. Write it yeah. in such a way that it's a natural endpoint, but you can always reverse it. You know, mm. you can always. In other words, it's easier to do it the other way. Like write it in such a way that they're going to leave and then don't have them leave, as opposed right. to write it in a way that is just normal and then and, and then it's a sudden a sudden departure at the end. That's like what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or even even a Tegan like situation, like Tegan at the end of Time Flight, would have been yeah. uh, a good template for this. Um, but they also so she did want to be killed off. She did want to die her a yeah. heroic death, and this could have been Adric years before Adric. Right. Um, speaking of that. You know, last uh, Tom Baker season and first Davison season. Um, yeah, we could have had Leela nobly sacrificing herself to save Gallifrey from the Santarans. And I guess um, they hadn't had anybody as, who's a companion die since Dalek's Master Plan at this point. I believe. Yeah, since Sarah Kingdom. So, yeah. yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, it would have been a lot for them to sort of alter the show in that way. In that, like, I think at that point that it had been pretty established that companions come and companions go, but. The whole dying thing, uh, that that's a bit extreme. So yeah. um, I could I, I could definitely see them turning it down. Um wh- what I will say is that I think there is a much more natural romance to have played up here between Leela mm. and a character, and it's not Android, obviously, it's Nesbin, the leader of the Shabogans. I mean, they really hit it off 
when they meet and he has a tremendous respect for her. Like he, he mm-hmm. said, like she wins him over like almost immediately. And he's like, yes, you, you're a warrior. I'm, I like you. And if they had yep. played those in sort of a more romantic way and a little more eyes between the two of them, I think that mm. would have been a much easier sell to the audience uh, by the end. And you could have, you would have had to write more for Nesbitt in those last two episodes, yeah. but that I would have bought it. Whereas with Andred, I mean, you're totally right. They'd have a little, a tiny bit of meat cute stuff with the knife earlier, which again also makes no sense if you zoom in and like, well, why is he letting her have a knife sometimes and not other mm-hmm, times? Mm-hmm. Um, and the one moment that I think does stand out for me is like, okay, there's there's a little tenderness between them is actually when Andred gets shot in yes. episode six or so, and he and Leela tends to his wound. So you sort of you can sort of believably get a little bit of that kind of Florence Nightingale effect as a, mm. uh, I think Doc Brown describes it in the original Back to the Future. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tiny bit there, but it is, it really is just whiplash at the end. It's like, Oh yeah. Um, yes. I'm, I'm, I like this guy. Not just, I, I get, you could like this guy, but to the point where you want to stop traveling with the doctor and stay here, like what? Right. That's and you may, yeah, strange. you do need to point to the, uh, to the opposites attract idea between them because uh, yeah you need some way to explain why this uh you know woman who's very much into living you know the the savage life uh, the original lifestyle uh would, would fall one, for this guy who's like super aristocratic i'll add one more thing that mm-hmm. would have sold it and again i think you could have even sold it this way without any romantic relationship excuse me uh but i think it was the the fact that the doctor is so dismissive dismissive of her early on clearly mm. has not taken her into his confidence banishes her yeah. basically he does not treat her well in those first few episodes yeah. and essentially kind of treats her like as he says a savage and i'm just going to use her as a mm. pawn in my a uh, plot to get rid of the vardens she could is totally entitled in my view to be utterly angry and unforgiving to him about that. And mm. if they wanted to play that up, that would have also been a good uh, way for those two to part ways. Exactly. Very, very kill the moon style uh, scene. You can imagine there at the end with, uh, with Leela just berating the doctor for kind of how he's treated her, you know, at several points throughout their entire time together. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess that that's sort of like maybe, maybe the uh, enmity between Tom Baker and Louise Jameson might've spilled out a little too much if they actually filmed it that way. <laughs> it would be a little less acting, a little more, you know, a group therapy for the, for the cast um yeah, yeah episode one where he says uh canine leela tell canine to tell you to shut up and she kind of does mm. but then canine actually pulls out the blaster like it's mm. like hold on like what what is happening you know you're just like uh, like that i would be extremely pissed at the doctor for like when you you sicked your dog on me like what yeah. are you doing canine's my friend don't yeah. do that yeah, and and we and they are friends enough that that canine stays with her, uh, which by the way I don't think you needed to do. Like, yes, they wanted to upgrade the model, but why why couldn't you just have the doctor the the start of the ribos operation be like, yeah, I, you know, did a few uh, few modifications to canine, like I upgraded the actual dog, 
instead of like, oh, you know, I'm going to build a new Mark II from scratch, which first of all begs the question of where did he get it? Did mm-hmm. did he nip off to the 50th century to to pick up a, a Mark II kit? Um, and who is he? Yeah. yeah, who is he laughing at there? Like, why why the fourth wall breaking? It's it's just it's it's the first time it's happened since. Um, you know, <laughs> since the Feast of Stephen, right? The uh, the famous fourth wall breaking with William Hartnell, uh, right. which is interesting because we did sort of call out Orphan 55 for almost breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the audience. And here it is, some full-on smashing it, uh, you know, mad. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind it too camera. much. Um, mm. Just because it's like a final seed, and you almost—it's mm. almost like extraneous. The canine stuff, yeah, I don't want to get too far into it, but this is this is a turning point for canine because it's Mark One to Mark Two. I don't mm. get it in that, like, what what's upgraded after the, mm. the yeah. Mark Two? You know what I mean? Like, is it a more powerful weapon? Going to go faster? Is it a better prop? No, no, and no. Um, <laughs> so. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know why they keep doing it. Also, feel like the fact that there are all these marks for different versions of K9 without mm. a distinction and with seemingly the same memories, uh, I, yeah. it makes it makes the sacrifices K9 occasionally makes. Uh, you think about school reunion, even mm. like meaningless. Like, well, we'll just build another one. We'll just get no problem. K9's K9 can always be rebuilt, can always be um, reassembled, and I, I, I'm. Yeah, it's not great. It's like again, mm. not to, I'll, I'll make a Star Wars reference for you, like in the Rise of Skywalker when Freepio <laughs> gets rid of his memories, and you think, "Oh wow, that's going to be a big deal." Oh no, not restored. Like uh, fifteen minutes yep. later, or whenever it is, it's like, okay, that what? Well, why totally bother? Reversed. <laughs> Indeed, why bother? All right, so I I feel like I I'm gonna I want to say want to talk about one more thing uh, before. Before we move on to the four questions, I don't know if you have other other stuff you want to talk about, but but let me let me just let me just rant for a little bit and just get this out of the way. Uh, the, the the TARDIS interior. I mentioned this at the top of the show. Like mm. this, this was sort of famous for chasing through the TARDIS, and I'd always imagined that as taking place in studio sets that look something like they look in Castrovalva, right? right. Uh, all, all of that TARDIS interior stuff that we saw in Davison's first season. That was my assumption. Now I'd heard there was a swimming pool in there. Okay, fine. It's probably, they've probably done it up as like a TARDIS-y swimming pool with roundels around the edges and, you know, make it, make it look Gallifrey. Nope. It's just a fricking swimming pool. And it's, you know, and Hotels it's brick. And it's brick, into, and and this this one scene where they like come up through the, through a, a door onto some stairs where they go down and they exit the scene, and then they come up. It, it looks like they've almost rerun the entire film, right? It just yeah. go back to the beginning of that particular scene, and they're running down the same stairs again, almost like they're trapped in a time loop. And it just doesn't work. And it, it I've often on the show said that the Doctor Who is best treated as a fever dream. Um, <laughs> which which is true of some parts of Invasion of Time, but other parts are just like a crappy dream. I don't know if you've ever like dreamed a Doctor Who story, uh, and you wake up and you're like, you know, during the dream you're like, wow, that was fantastic, and then you wake up and you're like, oh, the the Doctor was in this hospital corridor and it was made of brick and it's just like you realize once you wake up that actually it wasn't a very good story um it's that kind of dream it doesn't even rise to the level of fever dream um and there's just all all of the weird choices like not even the uh 
not even the 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 swimming pool, which by the way, I was thinking of because they throw in a scene in episode one where Leela is just randomly going for a swim. I think just to establish mm. that the TARDIS has a swimming pool, not even right. clear that that's where it is, but like, yes, let's, let's get another Leela skin scene in the, in this story by having her go for the swim. It's, it's just so bizarre, but it's, it's also like the, there's so many weird choices in the sets on Gallifrey, like those little chairs, in the corridors, right. but they keep running yes. past these little plastic chairs. What the hell? And they like, like t- t- yeah. for, for tiny people, the kids' chairs. Yeah, no, I just thought of it. they were like they were like chairs from a, a children's museum or something. I think yeah. I might have even seen them in a children's museum. <laughs> yeah. So the TARDIS stuff, I'm again, I'm a little split on. I really love the idea of like let's do a chase in the TARDIS. And yes. Let and and I actually didn't mind the gag of going through the same place maybe in opposite directions or even the same direction and saying it's a different place just and the doctor it, it sort of emphasizes the doctor's familiarity with the tardis in that like he knows this is whatever storage room 4b instead of 5a or whatever mm. he says that was all good um i i really wish it was a little more they did even more right again it's more the timing and what they had access to and they had like a couple of locations and they did the best they could whereas i would have loved to see like super eclectic stuff like suddenly you're feel like you're at the top of an office tower then again you're in that sort of Mm. grungy factory basement then you're in a library then you're in a museum and you're in a store then you're in a cloister right like and all this stuff like i like that idea um it, it, it definitely contrasts a bit to the John Nathan Turner era where it became much more homogenized. Every room had roundels. Every room kind of looked the same mm. and had obviously just rejiggered sets, um, which again, like it, it I, I, you could argue one, they're both sort of world building, but world building in different ways. And I would say that the Nathan Turner version is a little more um, left brain. It's a little more concrete. It's a little more like, Oh, this is, I, I can wrap my head around this, which I, I like for certain reasons, but I, I, I really like that bit in in this in that it's emphasizing almost the infinite nature of the TARDIS very, very early. Yeah. Um, so very cool. I mean, relatively early. It's not that early at this point in the show. But um, my problem with this and to some extent the previous episode is the Sontarans aren't really doing anything. There's just not – there's yeah. a bit of back and forth. And this is a, a problem to some extent with the whole story in that you don't really get a lot of the rest of Gallifrey and how they're reacting to this. You get a little bit with like Andred and the guards and the, you know, the guard on guard action uh, mm. with them sort of zapping each other. The ones, the loyal to the castle land, the ones that are rebelling. Um, I, I kind of wanted more of that. And I wanted more of like, how are the Vardens and the Santarans going to use Gallifrey and the power of the time Lords? And, uh, you don't quite get that. I mean, you know, the Santarans, they're they're wandering through the TARDIS with their guns and they're shooting through shower curtains or something. And you're just like, is this it? I mean, like, I know they're looking for the great key and they figure, but surely there's other stuff you could be doing and there's other help you could get pretty quickly rather than just the castle land and his little sensor thingy, right? Uh, yeah, it just suddenly yeah. feels very low scale for something that's supposed to have the ultimate stakes. Um, yes. Yeah, at least until the DMAT gun gets assembled. And again, even when that happens, you have this gun. And it, it, even though it's talked about as like this super weapon, it's really just a gun that yep. essentially disintegrates things. Um, and that's it, you know? And then and then it disappears at the end conveniently. And 
Rassilon, apparently his wisdom has erased the doctor's memory and it's all just kind of wrapped up in this bow and it, you just really get the impression they didn't know what to do once the sun right. were revealed. They just like, okay, let's have them chase around a few corridors and wrap it up with a big gun. Yes. And, and speaking of props, uh, we, we do have possibly the worst prop. I'm going to nominate it for worst prop in the history of Doctor Who, the great key. Um, <laughs> now I know the joke is that it could sort of look, it can, fit in like it's kind of a holy grail like thing right it could it could just it's supposed to be kind of minimalist and hide in plain sight except it isn't actually hiding in plain sight on the wall of keys it it turns out to be uh in barusa's desk but like yeah that's the fact that the great key is just like this thing that you know they bought for 39p at a at a <laughs> hardware store it's <laughs> just really bad but um but yeah, let's uh, let me stay positive on that. I want to mention the swimming pool scene because it does Hold give on. us two. Okay, you want let to go back me, to the great key? Let me go back and correct you because the okay. worst prop is not the great key. It is <laughs> the Gallifreyan ping pong ball communications technology that <laughs> is literally just colored ping pong balls that they yes. put into different places to do things and you need the like i it was it's so bizarre like i mean looking back on that was like one of the weird like i get what they're trying to do they're trying to do some weird alien technology and artifact based and you but it just like now it is probably the thing about this episode and that has aged the worst and there are a lot of things that didn't age well in this episode but that the indeed technology oh my god no i I actually so there are a number of things that are sort of famously bad about this that that people like to joke about uh that i didn't actually i didn't actually mind the ping pong ball thing didn't phase me the um oh gosh it's just completely fled my mind but uh, the oh the the uh Derek Deadman who plays the um the Sontaran the only Sontaran we get to see the face of oh uh store sort of famously yeah. store yeah kind of did him with a with a I love it uh did it with with a Cockney accent with sort of a jokey Cockney accent a lot of people in their reviews are like no I can't even hang with that like no not not an issue for me uh, yeah lot, lots of uh. Lots of planets have a have a London, I guess. Um, <laughs> Lots of planets have an industrial it? sector. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who start talking like this? Yeah, like, like the Cockney Sontaran. It totally works. Um, but uh, but then also the so the swimming pool scene. Like a lot of people like to point out that the, the one scene where the Sontaran stumbles over a pool chair. Yeah. Uh, unintentionally and then intentionally falls really badly uh down the steps of the swimming pool i i actually i laughed out loud i laughed so hard at that scene (laughs) and i think if this was released today you would have a looping gif uh of of that or jeff if you prefer (laughs) of of the the sontaran stumble which would just be it would just be epic. It would be legendary. Uh, I love it. Well, you can, you can uh, still one, make one. <laughs> that's true. Definitely. One more Star like- Wars reference to throw in. It's kind of like the the stormtrooper hitting his head on on the Death Star. You know, a scene that people have pulled out of like, you know, unintentional bad guy comedy. That stumble, though, man, I, you just feel you can yeah. just almost hear the Graham Williams, the, the, the director, saying like, "We have time for another take." 
And Graham Williams yeah, said, no. nope. <laughs> okay, wrap it up, guys. It'll have to do. Uh, yeah, basically cut to uh, Edward, cut to, you know, Johnny Depp as Edward going, great, print it. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Love that scene. Oh, God. But yeah, there's also the, we should mention Barusa. Barusa yeah, by the swimming pool, reading the Daily Mirror, uh, <laughs> reading the Daily Mirror with the Titanic uh being sunk on the, on the front cover and the doctor sort of sheepishly saying it's nothing to do with me <laughs> which i i love that that almost felt very new who that sort of hint yeah. of a story of an adventure that we're that we'll never see on screen but i love that the idea that you know clearly by saying that the doctor is admitting that he did sink the titanic so uh-huh. uh you know adjust your headcanon accordingly but yeah, I mean, I'm glad you you brought up Barusa. I mean, Barusa here, I think, is the best version of Barusa that we see in all of Classic Who, and he's he's the most recurring Time Lord, I believe, because you, you we see him as sort mm. of his preachy political self in the Deadly Assassin, which is really good, but he's very one note. Um, you see him again in Arc of Infinity and the Five Doctors, and both of those, he's a little more bland. I mean, obviously, in the Five Doctors, he takes this turn, which is kind of out of nowhere just for the story. Um, so he's not well served here. I think he's great. I mean, he is this really kind of a, a wise mentor type mm-hmm. for the Doctor, mm-hmm. and I, I like his his emotional beats just really feel exactly right and that he's sort of disgusted and annoyed with the doctor early on um sort of starts to uh, clearly reluctantly like uh, at first uh help him but then once the doctor sort of unmasks himself and is like i'm really working against the vardens they they become a really good duo like barusa is like yeah. i mean we, we'd have to run him through the system but is he a companion <laughs> he he might be does he take um, a ride in the yeah they they take a ride in the tardis at some point yeah. i don't know if they ever yeah. travel in time the two of them but yeah. uh you have to presume barusa, barusa has traveled in time um but regardless but yeah uh, you definitely get buddy comedy vibes from the two of them i would love to see a uh, tom breaker john arnett uh vehicle uh-huh. of them them traveling through time together but yeah there, there are four different actors who play barusa in the four different appearances in the classic series and and john arnett's version is is widely thought of as the best and you can certainly see why the, the sort of the long-suffering dryness of his comments towards the doctor uh as you would towards a sort of you know uh kind of uh, uh too smart for his own good ex-pupil um you know, with whom you still have a grudging amount of respect for. Yeah, I really felt that. I totally got it. Yeah, I really like the scene where Barusa and he, like the doctor's explaining how he has been uh, trying, you know, essentially shielding his thoughts from the Vardens and sort of the randomness Mm. of it. And they have that uh, great little exchange where Barusa doesn't get it. And Tom Baker is just, you know, the doctor is shrugging like, yeah, you don't get it. And he, he kind of realized, I love his self-awareness. Like, even though he's been put upon so much, he he realizes, oh, yeah, like they would they would see right through me if I thought that way. OK, I've really mm-hmm. I've really got to get it together. Like um, and I like that he does get it together. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding what happens with the five doctors, like by the end of the show, you are thinking, oh, yeah, this is the guy who should probably be in charge of mm-hmm. you, know, you haven't seen many time lords at that point. But it's like, yeah, give it give the presidency to him. 
Yep, Barusa for president. Sign me up. Uh, matching funds will be provided in energy pills. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm totally a Barusa yeah. fan. Yeah, I have to wonder what, what how that how that particular uh, coronation went. That's a, a <laughs> question. But we have other questions that we need to answer before we can yes, we do. time and those are of course the four questions to doomsday first question why did the randomizer take us here well i already mentioned in the top of the show i really think the randomizer is uh testing testing us and uh testing our faith in this, in the show, or certainly testing my faith, and in this case, kind of testing my faith in in Tom Baker, um, because I'd, I'd not seen this one. I'd not seen a lot of the the the, the kind of the, um, so you know the, the the comedy really got ramped up in the following season, right, season sixteen, um, right. and yeah. I'd, I'd not seen a lot of that. We did go to the Androids of Tara. We saw it a little bit, but like. Yeah, we, we kind of, you know, raised this question in Destiny of the Daleks, basically shadow written by Douglas Adams uh, right. of how much comedy is too much comedy. I mean, Destiny of the Daleks is like freaking Hamlet compared to this. It's it's uh, so, oh, oh. so serious. Uh, yeah, well, you can make a Hamlet comparison here, of course, to the Doctor pretending to be mad. But, um, but yeah, the, in terms of the level of comedy, in, in a lot of this, like it just, it definitely goes a bit too far. And there was a conversation within the BBC based on invasion of time, uh, where the head of drama was like, you know, uh, broad Graham Williams in was, was like, Hey, you know, I'm afraid that, uh, this, this is just tipping over a little, little too much in, uh, in the comedy direction. Uh, can we, can we rein it in a bit? Um, mm. so yeah, when it's too much comedy for the BBC, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then they Adams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it got even worse. Well, notably, we didn't um, mention this, but uh, the, the writing credit here is David Agnew, just as um, City of Death was. David Agnew, just obviously a pseudonym for uh, yeah. people who shouldn't be writing. <laughs> well, yeah, which is I mean, weird. That you be writing wouldn't... because of the rules. Let me clarify, not because yeah. you know necessarily the quality, because City of Death. Very yeah. well reputed episode written by Douglas Adams, but he was the script editor, was not allowed right. to be a writer. Same thing here. Um, with- Which is so weird to hear it in, in our era of uh, showrunners, right? You know, it's like the idea that Stephen Moffat or RTD would have to disguise <laughs> the, the episodes that they wrote uh, as written by David Agnew. Um, wow, David Agnew would be responsible for more Viscount bangers than any other writer in the history of the show. We would we'd be screaming for David Agnew at conventions. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was um, Anthony Reed and Graham Williams hmm. for the, the script editor and producer who, who threw this together. Yes, so that, so that's my main randomizer take, which is that uh, it's just it's. Every time we we ask for a Viscount banger, it's it's uh, taking us in the opposite direction, and it is sorely testing our faith. Although maybe not yours so much. Uh, probably not mine so much. Uh, but uh, my thought on the connections the randomizer is making here. So in the smugglers, which we've just done, mm-hmm. there 
is a very good scene in episode four about the doctor speaking about his moral obligation. And it's probably the first time in the series he explicitly states it. Cause I think he's sort mm-hmm. of just starting to form it from his adventures um, subsequent to our child. And now he, he strongly feels he has a moral obligation to do the right thing uh, and not just run away from trouble. And mm-hmm. here, if you think about what the doctor's doing, He's very proactively uh, targeting a dangerous uh, entire race of beings and fooling them into thinking he's working for them so he can get rid of them. If you look at it, he's really going, being far more proactive than he usually is about Mm. who's the bad guy and hatching a plan to deal with them. Uh, Honestly, you could extrapolate from this a little bit that he's kind of a little bit becoming Time Lord Victorious 30 years early. Yeah. And that yeah. he's 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 really trying to be this sort of master chess player um, with galactic threats. And uh, to, not to overread into it, but the whole thing with Rassilon erasing his memory at the end, I think yeah. probably has more to do with that than the actual events of this episode. Um, that, you know, you know Interesting. Calm, calm down, Doctor. Stop believing too much in your own PR your moral yeah. obligation doesn't extend to what could be interpreted as genocide. If you think about it, because yeah. Yeah. now arguably a time loop maybe is literally the loophole that time Lord <laughs> used to get out of that genocide charge because technically yeah. they're not dead. They're just circling in the same moments in time over and over and over. So um, maybe, maybe genocide doesn't apply, but I mean, just getting rid That's of the nice. entire Varden race. I mean, Holy cow. I, I'm sure that, you know, under the Shadow Proclamation, that, that might count as torture, you know, being stuck in a time loop. And and we've seen the Doctor do it before in the, the Claws of Axos, right? That's what he does with, yeah. the, with the Axon, gets, sticks them in a time loop. It is, uh, yeah, you, you, we'd have to have a serious discussion about whether that counts as torture. But yes, I think you're right. The randomizer is definitely playing up this, uh, the question between, you know, we have the two poles of the Doctor's behavior represented by the smugglers where he realizes he has a moral obligation and kill the moon where he just pieces out of, of his moral obligation to assist humanity at that point. And um, it's, it's kind of bouncing back and forth. And, and here we've, we've gone to one of the more extreme examples of uh, the doctor solving the trolley problem by, um, you know, definitely yanking that lever on the trolley and, and, making it head towards the lesser number of of deaths but but yes also um, trapping the inhabitants of the trolley on a time loop in the process very bizarre yeah time loops man they're 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 uh the the time lord version of uh, uh the capital punishment without without yeah. having to do capital punishment i think it's uh yeah again, a, a very appropriate thing for such a feckless society to, to rely oh my on. God. I think it should that, it'd be good to explore that more. It would be. And I, th- I think, yes, uh, the, in our regular segment, RTD call us, um, definitely a, a story that explores the question of our, our time loops torture. Like we, we've now seen a time loop more extensively in the show than ever before with Eve of the Daleks. <clears throat> but, um, but we haven't explored the moral implications of time loops. Uh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I'd love to see the question of, are you are you actually torturing these people for all time? 
Wow. Sounds like a hell of an evil mm. plot if they are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we have to talk Great about segue. our second question, which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? All right. So is, is the evil plot that of the Vardens uh, or is it that of the Sontarans who are using the Vardens? Yeah, I think we got to do two versions. So for the yeah. Varden being the evil plot, if that's their thing. So for that to succeed, I think the doctor's plan essentially doesn't work. Um, for whatever reason, you know, with K-9 uh, using mm -hmm. all the Time Lord artifacts to find the Varden homeworld and time loop it, um, there's some incompatibility maybe he didn't foresee. And then the mm -hmm. Vardens end up busting into the office before he can do anything. And they would they would just kill him, right? They'd just kill him and the Shabogans and Leela, uh, and they'd rule Gallifrey for a few minutes <laughs> till the Sontarans <laughs> arrive. And then uh, I guess the, they'd fight. They'd fight, and whoever wins gets Gallifrey. Is that is that how that would work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, they're not really going to have much uh, ad advantage of seeing into the minds of the Sontarans, uh, you know, because sometimes really kind of wear their minds on their sleeves there's not a lot going on in there um so yeah yeah i i would also love to see by the way a uh the vardens plot succeeding by them sort of superseding the the lead issue in the same way that the cybermen kind of got over that whole gold thing uh you know, huh. they, they tell us in the power of the doctor, right? Yeah, of course we, we, we evolved past the, the, that whole problem with gold. What a ridiculous notion. Um, <laughs> love to see the, the Vardens just come into the doctor's lead line chamber and be like, what? Oh, you, you thought, you thought we could still be blocked by lead. <laughs> you might want to update the Wikipedia entry on Vardens doctor. Um, yeah, we, we got past that. that helmet, Andred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if it's the Sontaran's evil plot, then they they blow everything up, right? Because that's that's what Store does at, at one point, or yeah, is he it gets about to rash. do. He mm. decides that he's going to destroy the entire galaxy with a grenade. But mm. <laughs> I guess what that does, uh, it blows up the Iron Harmony, and because of the way the Time Lords have set it up, I guess is it blows up the whole galaxy. So the we'll whole galaxy. It. Yeah, and it essentially <laughs> destroys a Gallifrey. Um and I We I, we I are in the same we're in the same galaxy as Gallifrey, right? I, I'm not I sure if that's ever been I clear. And honestly, the dialogue here suggests maybe not, because there is the bit with the jelly babies we were talking about. The doctor tells them they're from Earth. He says, Oh, that's Soul Three and Mutter Spiral. Mutter Spiral, yes. Seems to imply that's not that the galaxy they happen to be in. Um, I suppose mm. it could be, but then why? Why would you need to specify the galaxy if they're both in the same galaxy? Um, okay, according anyway. to the uh, according to the Wikia uh, TardisFandom.com, uh, Mutter Spiral is designation for the star cluster, um, and the Gallifrey is in the same galaxy as Earth. Apparently, that was established by uh the tv movie oh um, but then again the tv movie also said that the doctor was half human so yeah. 
Who even what knows? Is, Another example. The constellation of Kerberos. Which which is it? I don't. I've been looking for it. Someone tell me <laughs> what the next guy Kerberos is. Um, yes, please. But anyway, if he blows up the whole galaxy, I mean, it really depends if the Daleks are also in the, this galaxy. Because then, mm. then because if they're not, then it's like Daleks. The universe is yours. Um, if not, I mean, it's a big reboot for, mm. for the cosmos, I guess. Maybe yeah, another comes out on top. <laughs> uh, maybe the uh, the maybe you know what you know what's on Gallifrey this whole time we haven't even talked about it the moment. Yeah. Uh, tech is technically there. Like why why wouldn't the Santarans go and uh, go and explore that instead of well, there? Or also why, conversely, why do, you, why do we even need the moment if there's a hand grenade that can blow up the whole galaxy? Well, why didn't Rassilon and everyone else <laughs> grab the DMAD gun? Bat in, in the new <laughs> series and like just start blasting away yeah. at the Daleks. Like yeah. a couple shots with the demon. demon it raises you from time, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the Daleks are a little time immune. <laughs> oh anyway. no, Doctor Who canon is inconsistent. <laughs> what will we do? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's so okay. Evil plot succeeds. Uh, galaxy gone. Um, possi- <laughs> possibly, probably, including Earth. Uh, no more Doctor Who. No more anything. Okay. High stakes indeed. Oh my. Mm. All right. Well, someone might be affecting these stakes in the background. <laughs> and that leads us to our third question, which is where is the Clara Splinter? Now, As everyone knows yes. uh, Clara Oswald splintered in time at the end of the name of the doctor throughout the doctor's timeline. And she is probably somewhere in the background of every episode. In fact, she was shown to be in the background of this episode because they used footage from the invasion of time. And they did. uh, Oh, yeah. In one of the clips in that episode, she is shown to be in the background of one of the times the doctor is walking through Gallifreyan corridors. And she... It's actually, I believe they reused the the moment where Leela is behind him. And mm. the, the the camera for a moment stays on the opening that he just walked away from. Leela pops out. But in the name of the doctor footage, it's actually Clara Oswald who pops out uh, in more okay. of a Sarah Jane type outfit. Uh, oh, okay. Which which brings up the issue that we haven't mentioned, by the way, of why did Sarah Jane have to be abandoned before the deadly assassin, whereas Leela can just go right into Gallifrey. I guess it's the difference between, you know, the Doctor being summoned and the Doctor uh, in his uh, potentially nefarious scheme with the Vardens. But like, or it's it's not even he mentioned. Wanted to ditch her. Yeah. Sorry, babe. Can't take you back to see the family. Sorry, it's a little too early in our relationship. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of those moments. So what is Clara doing there? She's there in a Sarah Jane outfit. Um, she uh, Could she be the architect who is uh, creating the the lead-lined room, which the doctor says, like, he gives all these instructions for the interior decoration that he wants for, yeah. uh, for the room. And... Uh, basically you know the the interpretation of it oh you you want it to look like earth architecture basically yes <laughs> you know that's it so maybe clara. clara oswald clara is actually drafted in from earth 
Um, she's wearing a Sarah Jane outfit because that's what the Time Lords think all Earth people who aren't allowed access to Gallifrey dress in. And uh, she's just sort of uh, conforming to type. And um, uh, yeah. And then she she kind of ensures that there's lead in that, in that chamber. Um, or okay. she is okay. suggesting... She's suggesting to Barusa maybe that that uh, that the uh, the voice print of using a voice print is terrible or whatever it is that he says uh, would be a good <laughs> good piece of security. She's his security consultant. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know what else. I what had, else we got? I had a couple. One is mm-hmm. that she is some Gallifreyan engineer uh, or masquerading as one who. Hmm. It has access to essentially the crown jewels and she is ensuring that all of this Gallifreyan artifact technology is canine compatible. <laughs> Whether it's canine Mark one compatible. Exactly. It's like, you've got to make sure your crown of Rassilon or whatever the stuff is, the scepter of Rassilon, the, the sash of Rassilon, all of it, has, can interface super quickly with 50th century robot dogs. And right, right. That, that ensures that the Vardens are taken care of. Um, so the other <laughs> idea I had is that off screen, when whenever Leela's off screen or Andred's off screen, she's whispering in their ear, talking about how great the other person is. <laughs> and that, She's a Yenta, yes. You guys would look great together. I just, you guys are meant for each other. It's just, it's She's taking pictures of the two of them, posting them to Gallifrey and Instagram, making sure they get lots of likes. Uh, like, look how many people look. Yeah, she, she's she's probably inventing a, uh, a you know, Landred hashtag or <laughs> Andrela, or like, yeah, she's like, look, everyone's mad for you guys. You'd be a great couple. Come on, I've given you a hashtag. Do it. Yeah, stay on Gallifrey, Lila. You know the Doctor hates you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you know what? Happening. Take it. Take his robot dog. That'll be the ultimate revenge. Take the dog. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, girl power. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. She's yeah. having late night chats with Leela around That's the it. campfire. Go maybe, winner. maybe in Shabogan. Yep. <laughs> Love All it. All right. Settled. Settled. And what we need to settle now is, of course, our final question. The only question, the one that matters most for the invasion of time. What did we think of this episode? The Pull to Open rating system has five ratings. They are the Dalek, which is what we give for a good episode of Doctor Who, the Ogron, which is for a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who, the Professor Hater, which is perhaps not a good episode, but at least they tried something, at least they learned. we learned something, um, or the Viscount Banger, the coveted rating, which we give to only the best of the best that Doctor Who has to offer. And finally... The fifth rating, rarely used, fixed point in time, which is a re- mm. an episode that is beyond rating. We cannot rate this episode. We cannot judge it for uh, various reasons. Yes, usually reasons of nostalgia, which I can imagine I might give this a fixed point in time had I 
been watching the series at that point. Um, but I think it's to me it's a it's another clear cut case of a professor hater. Mm. Absolutely clear cut. It's it's not great. It's kind of a mess. By the way, it's a mess also because the doctor doesn't even uh, give up the presidency at any yeah. point. Like it just leaves Gallifrey and politics in in tatters and and heads off. Not even a moment of saying, "Hey, you could you could choose my old friend Colonel Barusa here. He'd be <laughs> he'd be a lot better leader than I am." Um, just throwing the line like that. So it, there's a lot of a mess, but we definitely learned some things. Uh, we definitely learned what the TARDIS interior should not look like. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we learned uh, we learned that maybe the, the, the Varden threat didn't sustain four episodes and maybe you should have brought in this, the Sontaran sooner. Yeah, I feel like there the, the were learnings all around. You know, that it shouldn't, you know, BBC learned that Doctor Who should not have this much comedy in it, even though that was a battle they were going to have to continue to fight. Um, but I, I sense that you disagree, Pete. I disagree, sir. This is a Dalek. I like <laughs> this episode, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's like I said, zoomed out. I think it's it's amazing. Like the, what, I love that they went there. They went to Gall mm. back to Bob Holmes Gallifrey, and they mm. explored it and got it right, particularly with two great performances from uh, Bruce and the Castellan. Um, yep. the, the manic stuff with the Doctor that sort of keeps you guessing, and Don, Tom Baker does really, really well. Um, you have the stuff with the you know Gallifreyan defenses that they explore and super weapons. Um, you have the double invasion, which is mm. pretty neat. Um, again, I think this, there's so much here that just really works for me structurally that I, it doesn't even matter to me that the Vardens are made of tinfoil or the Sontarans didn't have any plans. And, um, there are a lot of details like the TARDIS interior that weren't so great. I think the difference here to point out a recent professor hater for me with kill the moon, where it had big ambition, but got some of the major beats wrong and structurally got some stuff wrong here. The framework is perfectly intact. It's, it's fine. It's like, uh, yes, it was rushed. Yes. It looks cheap sometimes. Yes. Like some of the plot details don't really work. I don't care. Like this was a very cool, ambitious episode that gets a lot of things right about Gallifrey and I'm giving it a Dalek. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, if, if there was a Varden in our rating system, that, that's what I would give it. Uh, like the <laughs> idea that we could give a Varden rating and then, oh no, it, the Varden rating has turned into a Sontaran. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're going to have to dis agree to disagree on this one. Uh, I think we, we both agree that it was ambitious. Um, uh, <laughs> the execution of that ambition, I think is, is where we differ, but that's fine. Mm. Uh, we, we have many split decisions here on pull to open. Uh, but there is one decision that is not split, and it is the decision of the randomizer on where we go next. Indeed. Uh, Pete, would you, would you tell the good people out there in podcast land what the randomizer is? Uh, the randomizer is definitely not a dog from the 50th century. Uh, it is <laughs> a device that we uh, constitutes two different elements one is the codex the pull to open codex a list of every single episode of doctor who in the right order chronological mm. order um 
and every single story we should say yeah every single story yes and the second part is the random element which we like to call random.org yes which which i have pulled up now i am standing at the controls of the executor aka random.org uh which will generate a true random number based on atmospheric noise uh when the shields are lowered around planet earth um and uh yeah atoms bouncing around the atmosphere much better way to create randomness than algorithms which only guess at true randomness it's a big problem in computer science uh that has been solved with atmospheric noise so that's what we that's what we like to do and pete uh in the codex pete has the current list of how many stories are left and uh i will plug that number into random.org pete what is the number now that I have ticked off the invasion of time, that number is 223. Yes. Wow. All right. Getting closer to that magical 200 number, at which point we will have done a third of all of the stories in Doctor Who history. Mm-hmm. Now, so between number one and number 223, uh, I will I will hit the generate button after we give the randomizer some challenges. And I'm going to go first on this one. Um, because my my plan to get us to a Viscount Banger did not work by confronting it head on, I'm going to go for the uh, apparent oppositional defiance disorder that the randomizer has. I'm going to say, take us to the worst ever Doctor Who story. Take us to something oh, wow. truly awful that makes Invasion of Time look like Shakespeare. <laughs> the problem is the randomizer knows you so well. I think it can yeah. see right through your blood. Um, <laughs> just like you, if you were a shimmering Varden. <laughs> in a chair. Okay, I'm just going to ask, uh, because, yes, some of the, the TARDIS scenes here, though a good idea, were not executed that well, I'd love to go to another TARDIS-heavy episode that mm. is done well. Um, I'll even just maybe, take Maybe... Maybe journey to the center of the TARDIS. I can't even remember uh, whether that goes well or not. I'd even um, go take. I'd even take the edge of destruction, which is a very early mm, episode. That, uh, all yes, time, all time. So I'm going to do That's that. Right. Okay. Um, so now I think it's time. I think we got to. It's time. Give me a countdown. Random. Here we go. Four, three, two, one. Excellent. 165 we're in new who we are in new who oh my god is the doctor's wife oh my god it listened to you it listened to me it, it listened to you it's it totally interior to you unless it was doing <laughs> i think i i think yeah i i don't want to um I don't want to reveal, tip my hand too early on this, but I do have to say this is uh, this is one of my favorites. So this is, it's this is a favorite yeah. of a lot of people, famously written yeah. by Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah. I believe this is no, it's the second that he did, right? Because he did. No, I think it's the first he did. Oh, um, no, that's right. uh, Nightmare after this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That yeah. one that was famously squashed down from two episodes, but this was this is the the sort of the platonic ideal of Neil Gaiman writing for Doctor Who. This is perfect in every that's respect. Amazing. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. And folks, I hope you are too. 
when we come back next time with a commentary on the doctor's wife, perhaps with a guest in tow. So Ooh. stay tuned for that. Uh, folks, this has been Pull to Open. It is a podcast. Podcasts are great things to subscribe to if you have not done that already. And if you've already subscribed on perhaps a podcast app, feel free to go over to YouTube sometime. Find us at youtube.com slash pull to open and subscribe there as well. It'll really help the show. We're on social all over the place. We're on TikTok at pull to open, Twitter at pull to open 63, Instagram pull to open 63, and Facebook pull to open 63. The absolute best thing you can do besides following us on all those places and rating the show and reviewing the show is sharing the podcast with a friend. Surely you know someone who likes Doctor Who or what, you know, should like Doctor Who. Go ahead. Mm. This is the podcast. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps in the spirit of uh, the, our next uh, episode, share it with your spouse. There it is. Spouses <laughs> of the universe unite and come on back for the doctor's wife next week. See you then, guys. <laughs>